morning. Morning again. So I'd just like to take any questions this morning. Yes. Uh, in one of the um, previous lectures in, um, in Madhavan, you were speaking on um, the, uh, the description of the Bahudvaja uh, Hure Mana. Bahudvaja Hure Mana. Yes, yes. And uh, in there you were, you were speaking on the nine processes of bhakti. And um, you were going to speak on Satya. And, uh, Sakya. Sakya, yeah. And, um, but you didn't have time. So I was wondering if now's a good time. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Amal Bhakta, or Amal Sham refers to, uh, in his question, his song. It's a very nice song written by a devotee named Govinda Das many uh, eons ago, and um, it's a Beng- it's written in Beng- Bengali, um, and of course he was a, a, a Bengali, and he was uh, uh, born in a family of Shaktas, so um, it that is one of the um, prominent religious or uh, spiritual um, perspectives in Bengal, the Shaktas and the Bhaktas. So the uh, the Bhaktas uh, typically um, are engaged in Bhakti, Bhakti Yoga, and they worship Bhagavan, Vishnu, and other different uh, manifestations of Krishna, or, uh, as we do. And Bengali Vaishnavas do Krishna himself, right? Radha, Radha, and Krishna. And um, and traditionally, um, over the centuries, there's been a kind of a divide between the Shaktas and the and the Bhaktas um, of of sorts. Um, And the the Shakta discipline is one that is more overtly concerned about material acquisitions, worshiping the goddess um, for improving one's material situation, or in the optimum uh, for getting release from birth and death and attaining kind of a sense of uh, oneness with the Absolute. Um, the goddess Durga, Dur means difficult and Ga means to go. So the goddess presiding over the world, uh, it, it also means, Durga also means like, like um, citadel, like, like a, like a, like a fortress, like a like a prison, mm-hmm. difficult to get out of prison. <laughs> uh, so, um, and so that uh, goddess is, is is prominent then in in the Shakta tradition, and um, presiding over, so to speak, um, nature. She has the power. It's thought to provide from the natural world 
mm, things that we, we we need, or in the optimum, to open the gates and let us out of a needy condition that we find ourselves in. Mm? We find ourselves in a needy condition because we have identified with uh, with the natural world in a way that is at the cost of or at the loss of um, our uh, our soul, so to speak. Um, we we lose sight of the fact that the natural world, which is constantly in transformation, right, from ashes, to, what does it say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, something like that, right? So everything is, the, 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 the tree produces the fruit, produces the seed, starts over again, and everything is constantly transforming. So we may um, identify ourselves with the transformation that matter is constantly undergoing and think, I am this. Later you might think, I am that. Um, I think I'm a, I'm, I'm a young lady, and later I might think that I'm an old lady. Hmm? I might think I'm a daughter, and later I might think I'm a mother. Hmm? Both could be true, but they don't last forever. Hmm? They change. I might think I'm an American, and I might think it's not such a great idea, given the present uh, whatever political situation, and I may want to move, become a Canadian. <laughs> That's possible. Um, nowadays, you can change your gender orientation uh, if, you, if, you, if you like. So there's the world is flexible in that way. And so we proceed, so to speak, through life thinking, I am this or I am that, I am this or I am that. And what's lost in the thinking, I am this or I am that, I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that, is the more important thing that's constant in that process, which is, I am. I may be think I'm this or I'm that, but I all I really am is I am. I'm not those things because those things are subject to change, but the I am doesn't change. Hmm? So there's... A, the point is here that there is an observer to the ever-changing material phenomenon. And in order to understand, the, and, and as we can readily in discussions like this, that the world, we're, we're in, a, in, a, in, a, in the midst of something that's in flux and changing, we have to be a little separate from it. Let me give you an example. Let's say if you are on the ground and an airplane flies over at 700 miles an hour. Well, you can see it's moving, it's changing, it's going pretty fast. If you're part of the airplane, if you're in it, it looks like it feels like you're just sitting sitting there, because hmm? you're 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 part of the change. And this is a crude example, but you're part of the change, so you're not separate enough from it from to observe it. I mean, you can know about it because you bought the ticket and whatnot, but it looks like oh, here I am, you know. Uh, just floating in the cloud up here, right? So, so we're um, there. There's something about us. The point being that's separate from the change, that the, the transformation that matter undergoes, that enables us to understand that that transformation's going on. And if we're astute enough, we can think, well, what is that about me that's constant? and observing the changes and thinking I'm this and thinking I'm that, only to find out that I'm not this, I'm that, no, I'm not that, I'm this, and and uh, and the troubles that go with, with all that, right? 
Hmm? The ground is constantly moving under our feet. We thought we got firm ground and again it started to shake, right? Hmm? So, so um, the, the neediness then that we experience is a result of identifying with the changes that are not going to remain permanent and they, and they need to be sustained. Like, I think that I'm this body and this body needs things that if I... And it, it almost appears that if I don't um, uh, tend to those needs, that um, it won't... Uh, I'm threatened with non-existence. I appear to be threatened with with uh, with not existing unless I enter the struggle, right? Um, but what's really happening is that this death is just a transformation. But I've identified with the, that which is transforming, so I think it's me hmm, that's needy in ways that I'm not. I I think we think that I would. We would like to be uh, secure. We would like to be um, knowledgeable. We would like to be happy. Hmm? But um, in fact, we are sat, we are chits, and we are ananda, which means we 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 are a unit of enduring reality that's uh, not subject to birth and death. Hmm? It's a unit of consciousness. Consciousness is cognizant, unlike matter, which is inert. And matter doesn't have any inherent pleasure in it. Pleasure lies within our, our self. When we identify with a thing, we think the thing is giving us pleasure. Hmm? But the pleasure lies in our ability to identify with the thing, and our self is in that thing, and therefore we find it to be pleasurable. I find my car to be pleasurable, but it doesn't really matter that much if yours gets a flat tire. Because hmm. I'm not in it by way of identification with it. So the, this unit of consciousness has the capacity to extend itself into things and in this way in a, apparently extend its sense of self. But as much as it extends itself into material things, that I extends itself by the two-letter word my and then the problems of that thing become my problems, and so that whole life of problems, <laughs> because everything's in flux, and so uh, uh, it's a it's a it's a troublesome life. So we have these needs. So the goddess provides the needs, right? She's the goddess of the of of the of, of the Maya of the, of the world, and so. Uh, some some religious people, the uh, shaktas, they petition the goddess, and primarily they petition the goddess for things that they need, that they think they need, right? Um, and so it's something like, well, um, you know, if you uh, if you have some reverence towards nature, maybe nature will be inclined to um, Reciprocate. Hmm? You could tear her apart and dissect her, and uh, in a science lab, and so find out something about her, and then use it for your 
whatever your purpose is that you think is big and great hmm? for humanity that the, that the cows think is not a very good idea, maybe, for example. So you, how big of an idea you're going to come up with? And you want to manipulate nature for your human uh, purposes, but uh, they don't they don't necessarily take in the, the whole world into consideration. They just don't have that uh, have that human humanity unto itself doesn't afford us that uh, larger uh, perspective. We, we can go there with help and good association and so forth, but that means to use our humanity to transcend its limits, right? Hmm? To move from animality to humanity, from huma- humanity to spirituality, something like that. Hmm? And what I am beyond my human appearance. So, at any rate, it's this, uh, the worship of the goddess, the Shaktipat. is a kind of a gentle way of living in the world, respecting nature and its bounty and um, um, and uh, um, petitioning nature to 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 uh, provide and so there's a whole school like it's very very beautiful in, in a sense but it's still mostly preoccupied with perceived needs right which are again only perceived if you want to get a little as we are a little philosophical about it, and then in the in the in the in the in the pursuit of really ending the needs altogether, hmm? and finding out I'm not needy. Hmm? I exist beyond time and space. Hmm? I'm not my brain. I'm not just a machine, right? Hmm? There is something called a mind. That well, the popular perspective in in modern science is that mind is it must be a brain. We can't find it, you know. It's just, and the and the sense of I that arises and self and qualitative experiences and so forth are kind of weird because they they don't seem to be physical, but but obviously there's no there's nothing other than the physical. It must be. We've, we'll figure it out. We, we'll find that place in the brain that. That uh, suddenly um, makes matter, which is insentient, become sentient. Good luck with that. Don't expect experience to come out of a non-experiential phenomenon. Hmm? It's not too wise. Um, there may be other evidence that leads you to believe that everything's natural. There's no God. I haven't seen him. There's no soul. People used to talk about. We haven't seen a soul, so why deal with that? And religion gave me a hard time when I was a kid, anyway. So, you know, it's really messed me up psychologically, and uh, I missed out on. I could have had that lady or that guy, and you know, I was too whatever. <laughs> and so, uh, forget it. But there's a lot more to it than than that, right? So, um, and so we get, kind of get to the. The, the root of it here, like, are we machines? Is that what we are? Or is there actually a self? It's non-material. It has the quality that's experiential rather than non-experiential, like things. And what's the difference between things and thoughts? Are there actually thoughts? 
And is there something that, that does the thinking? So forth, right? So um, we say, of course, yes. And we have the lineage, and there are other lineages as well, in which great mystics have experienced it. And their experience um, is subjective, so we can't go and examine it in the laboratory. And we could. We could put nodes or whatever on their brain and see what's happening in there and see how the brain reacts to the meditative experience. But So there's a connection between the two, but it's not causal. The brain's not causing the experience. Hmm? Correlation is different than causality. Hmm? You could just assume reason that the brain is responding because the atma, the self, is acting in a certain way rather than the opposite. And, of course, these mystics exhibit extraordinary qualities, supernatural qualities. It's pretty supernatural to, for example, um, overcome lust. That's pretty supernatural. Or greed. Hmm? Um, to, to um, If you want to know something about the mind, why go to someone who, who thinks it's whatever, a, just a brain, let's say, for example, reducible to the physical, but he himself or she herself cannot sit for five minutes and focus their mind on anything rather than go to someone who can sit for a month or two months or 30 years in a cave and completely control the mind and be completely blissful. As Maybe that guy or gal knows something about what what is a mind. Hmm? Who, who is able to um, transcend, for all intents and purposes, the demands of the mind and the demands of the senses, which we so obediently um, um, follow, even in our American individualism, hmm? and even in our opposition to any hierarchy and... Uh, uh, postmodern sensibilities uh, or uh, capitalist, uh, you know, individualism. Hmm. Um, we're obedient servants of the mind's demands and demands of the senses, which don't work together often. The stomach, the urge to eat, uh, may compete with the tongue with the urge to taste. They work together to a certain point, but at a certain point, the stomach may say, stop, but the tongue may say, go on. <laughs> so that's a problem. Hmm? These masters are not in our interest. We need to harness them. That's what yoga is about. Hmm? Someone who ha- has mastered the mind and the senses might know something more about them than someone who hasn't. Hmm? Right? Um, and so there are such people in different lineages, spiritual lineages, saints, mystics, and they have a lot in common, right? Um, and so, and this is one of the things, like I say, that, that, that the needs, if you will, are, are artificial. We have, may have to meet them even in the context of, of transcending them, but with the knowledge of what they are, and then we can live a simpler life and... Uh, uh, and even even take our needs and apply them in the practice. Hmm? So, like I said, let's say you have a need for entertainment. 
come here, chant, it's very nice. There your need has been applied in pursuit of transcending all, all needs, right? Uh, coming from the ears and material emotions and, and so forth. So, um, the back door, so to speak, to the goddess that most people in in Bengali Shaktism don't pay a lot of attention to, the front door is she presides over nature and provides the back door is you could also get out hmm, of the fortress here, if you like. That, that that's that's uh, the backdoor option that's not you know kind of prominent in the teaching if you will okay so anyway the c- composer of the song Govindadas was a was a devotee of the goddess hmm? but he had an ideal from that's come from his past life and so forth for attaining something that was not within the um, jurisdiction or the power of the goddess hmm? and that ideal was release if you will mukti uh, transcending the needy condition plus what's the plus I mean well that's uh, worth worth discussing if we are needy then we are a taker right? Not a lover. Hmm. Because love is about giving. So the more full, more we give, the more full we actually become. Hmm. And the less needy we become. Right? Even materially speaking. Um, So, if through a uh, dedicated spiritual practice that affords this capacity, we transcend taking, hmm? we can be peaceful because now we have no needs. I, the karmic rule is I took, now I owe. I've taken from the world, now I owe. So I'm, I'm bound by those actions. So to forego such action by which I become indebted hmm, and remain in the cycle of birth and death, this is the basic idea, right, of of uh, spiritual pursuit um, to not take you become is 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 part of loving but love is more than not taking if love is giving okay included within giving is not taking but there's something more to love than just not taking. Not taking is kind of like, okay, peace. Let's say you're at war with another country and you make a truce. There's peace. Okay. But what you really want is not just peace, but healthy commerce between the countries. That's a further step. We want peace, but we also want love. Peace and love. Hmm. Peace and love. <laughs> so peace is, is is in a way is in kind of is in love, although love isn't always peaceful. But it's a it's a nice kind of un, even lovers' quarrels 
in the larger picture, they, they, they become nice. They, 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 we quarrel because we're attached to one another. So, um, with this in mind, kind of in a general way, as his ideal, he worshipped a goddess. And the goddess appeared to him one day and said, you worship in the wrong person. You should worship Govinda, from where he got the name Govinda Das. Govinda is a name for Krishna, the goddess, the god, excuse me, within the Hindu pantheon that represents love. Hmm? He only loves, that's all. He doesn't have any weapons or anything, or he's not uh, in, in his, overtly in his appearance powerful and riding some, you know, like a bull, like Shiva, and with a, with a trident, and, uh, and he doesn't have, you know, four or six arms, as sometimes the goddesses and gods are depicted to depict different powers that they, they, that they represent that correspond with our psychology. Hmm? Right? Um, he transcends the limits of human psychology and he is just a lover. He plays a flute only. Hmm? And of course the idea is that he who only plays is all powerful because it takes power to play. If you want to play, if you want to have a vacation, you need some money in the bank, you need some power with the company to get time off. So he's depicted as only playing and the idea is oh, he must be the god of the gods, so to speak, the heart of the godhead. Buddha may be the wisdom, Jesus may be the sacrificing form of the god, but Krishna is the playful lover. And he is, um, interestingly, all-powerful, but completely controlled by the love of his devotees <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> He's just in their hands, so to speak. Yeah, so he appears as their friend, as their lover, even as the son. So, in his leelas, his divine play. So she told him, "Go to Govinda. There you can get what you want." Hmm? Now, interestingly enough, Durga hmm, is the goddess, as I said, who presides over the natural world, and she, being a, if Krishna is the is kind of the fountainhead within Hinduism of 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 the um, different innumerable faces of God, hmm? which there are many. One person has many faces, just like we we're one person, but we look uh, one way to our husband, another way to our boss, hopefully, another way to uh, <laughs> our, our son or our daughter or to our mother. Our mother looks at us. Like, Oh, my daughter. You know, she's like 50 years old now, you know. So, but so we have different faces and they correspond with the way people think of us. So the God it has many different faces that correspond with he's a way he's approached by different people, right? So with Krishna, we talked a little bit about, there is also Radha. They are inseparable, Radha and Krishna. So you have Radha embodies the highest love of Krishna and Krishna is the highest object of that love. So if you if you have love you need an object to love and you need the you need the love. Hmm? It's like you can't have a teacher without students. You can't have students without a teacher. You may say I'm a teacher, but if you have no students, well <laughs> you know you're really not. And if you're a student and you don't have a teacher, well you're not a student, right? So you have 
the object of love and the love. So Krishna is the object of love and Radha is the love personified. Therefore, in every devotee of Krishna, there's a little bit of Radha in every devotee. Hmm? Right? And these two are the worshipable ideal, for example, in our tradition, Radha and Krishna. They're, they're, they're um, kind of one and different from one, interpenetratingly, two, two bodies, one, one soul, something like that. Hmm? Love and the object of love combined. And the, and the love is venerable and by us, as is the object of love, and Radha as that um, love also is is the embodies the teaching of how to love. So he's even more dear to us than Krishna, in, in a sense, showing the way. So um, interestingly, of course, if you have Krishna with Radha, then in, then Krishna is the fountainhead of all. He's called the energetic. In one sense, Shaktiman, and Radha is called the energy, the Shakti. Just like you might have a fire, and the fire generates heat and light. Okay, they're one with the fire, but you know we can talk about them. They're different. There's the fire, and the heat and the light. Hmm? So there's the gen, there's the there's the there's the generator, and there's the energy that's generated. So Krishna is the energetic and Radha is the primal energy. So wherever then uh, Krishna manifests in another form, some form of the 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 as the energetic, some form of the energy is also present. So if Krishna appears as in, in as Vishnu, then Radha appears along with him as Lakshmi. Hmm? If Krishna appears as in the form of Shiva, then Parvati appears along with him. Hmm? Right. So this Durga is another name for Parvati. Hmm? So the wife of the consort of Shiva, hmm? and she's a partial manifestation of Radha, as Shiva is a partial manifestation of Krishna. Hmm? So, um, so Radha is also known. As Durga. Durga means difficult, Durga, difficult to go from, but it also means difficult to go to. It's difficult to go from the world and attain peace, but it's more difficult to go to uh, to enter into the love life of the Godhead hmm, through the um, the path shown by Radha. Hmm? It's more difficult in that. In that we were going from war to peace to love, hmm? right? It's more difficult in that sense. It has to be thought out a little bit more. It's a higher ideal, hmm? but at the same time, in one sense, it's it's it, it's it's easier also. Hmm? So Rod is very generous. So through the goddess Durga, hmm, here was this Govinda Das. Praying for something that the material goddess couldn't give, but she, being a partial manifestation of Radha, understood what he wanted and sent him to Krishna. Hmm? She said, "You should go there. What you want, that can be gotten from Krishna." Hmm? Durga presides over the main mantra that we chant, the Gopal mantra. Hmm? So 
We find other instances of this also in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. Gopakumar Kumar was given this mantra from the goddess. So, um, so anyway, Govindadas composed a very beautiful song um, that you ask about. It's a little background. So he says, Bajahure Manashi Nandanandana Abhai Charanana Vindure Lulabhamanava Janama Satsange Taraha Bhava Sindure And uh, he's singing about taking shelter of Krishna at whose feet one becomes fearless. He says, birth as a human is rare compared to so many other species that are around us. It's more on micro... micro microbes, germs on the end of my finger than there are humans on the planet. We're, 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 in a, we're a minority, whether we're black or white or green or whatever, yellow. We're all we're humans are a minority. We should be a little humble here. And, uh, and at the same time, we have, we, have, we have a great opportunity as humans and a responsibility um, in relation to the other species as, as stewards of sorts. So, um, so um, uh, he says, if you have human birth and you combine that human birth with sadhu sangha, association with saintly persons, then you have all that you need for ending the problems of material existence. And then he starts to speak about the material existence and its problems, like we spoke about earlier, the neediness, the ups and downs of it, uh, the attachment that is the womb from which suffering is born, and so on and so forth. And as he goes through this, then he comes to the end verse, which is a mention of of nine very powerful uh, limbs, if you will, of the body of bhakti. Bhakti as a discipline, as a as a yoga. Um, so if the body is uh, bhakti, then it has limbs by which it executes itself, right? By which it's practiced. So. He says, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Smaranavandanam. So, hearing about Krishna, Shravanam, Kirtanam, chanting, that's what we were doing, hearing and chanting. These are two prominent limbs of the body of bhakti. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Smaranam, that, that hearing and chanting in time fosters meditation. The Kirtan takes one deep in and then it, and the Kirtan stops, but the meditation goes on. Hmm? And one's living in a meditative, internal, experiential, um, spiritual, experiential world, so to speak. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Archanam, Bandanam, Dasyam. Archanam, Bandanam. So he says um, uh, there's Padasevanam, that means like to take pilgrimage to holy places of Krishna's leelas, his birth and place. And, and uh, uh, take advantage of them to bathe in the sacred rivers and and so forth. This is also padasevanam. So, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu smaranam, padasevanam, archanam. Archanam means the uh, ritual worship of like the the deity, the icon of, of Krishna, and to which is approached with ritual language and mantra and and so forth. And, and we cook and offer the food to Krishna and, and, and so forth. So this is archana. Vandanam, vandanam means, means prayer. So prayer is also a, is an anga or a limb of the body of bhakti. Shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, parasevanam, archanam, vandanam. Then it comes to dasyam, sakyam, 
Padmanivedanam, these three. So these, the first six, everyone can perform. Hmm? But the last three require having some standing within your spiritual practice, having progressed, having advanced to order, in order to incorporate them. Hmm? And so this is a, this is a good uh, point because if you want to approach Raga Bhakti and worship Krishna in, in, in Vrindavan and this, uh, in intimacy and so forth, then you take that up by hearing, chanting, meditating upon him, worshiping the deity of him in this way and so forth. But even according to the, these nine angas or limbs of bhakti, there's some of them you can't take up. You follow me? Until you've made some some progress. Hmm? So dasyam, sakyam, atmanivedanam. Your question is about sakyam. Hmm? So this point I'm making about um, it is um, brought out in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and by the commentaries of Jiva Goswami in, in particular, his commentary. Um, and um, um, first of all, there's two kinds of sakyam as a bhava. Hmm? These are limbs of what's called spiritual practice, sadhana. Spiritual practice is something we do with our senses and so forth until the point where they 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 do away with material impressions that have been driving our life and making us uh, act habitually in certain ways. Whatever we do, however we interact, we get impressions. Those impressions are logged in what's called the chitta, hmm? in the subtle body, and then they they um, influence us. Hmm? And we have lifetimes and lifetimes of impressions called samskars, right? Samskars are impressions like vrittis, and the vrittis that are of a similar nature form in a cluster that's called a samskar. Hmm? And then that samskar works as a vasana, so it's, which means it, it becomes a imp- compelling or impelling force to do the things that we do. We think we're doing them, but we're actually, they're actually, we, we've done things that as a result that we have these impressions now that are driving us to do them. So in order to cleanse out these, away these impressions, material impressions, the, there's no way to do that materially. That can only be done by spiritual practice. Just like in Yoga Sutra it said, Chitta Vritti Nirodha. So to remove the vrittis, samskars, vasanas from the chitta. Hmm? That's what yoga is about. So there's a practice for this. It's a, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a transrational practice. Yoga is transrational. Hmm? It's not unra- irrational, but it, trans- it picks up where reason leaves off. We can reason about it as to why to do it, but the actual practice itself is not a rational exercise. Hmm? Right? Hmm? You can use your mind in the context of it, but it's, and especially this is the case with bhakti. Hmm? So chanting is not a rational, it's not irrational to chant, but in and of itself it's not a rational exercise. It's an exercise that picks up 
where reason lives, leaves off and takes us where reason can't go unto itself. If you want a realm to transcend, live in a, to live in a realm that transcends the limits of the senses, the mind, and the intellect, then you're going to have to have a, a method to attain that that can afford you more than the senses, the mind, or the intellect can. And when we've been around as humans for quite a while, and if by reason we could have become completely happy, well, we all figured out now, right? But <laughs> reason doesn't do that unto itself. Hmm? Reason doesn't do that unto itself. It's not unreasonable to assess the limits of reason in terms of its capacity to afford us what we're already looking for. We're looking for we were looking to be happy ever after, hmm? if you will. Hmm? So that's not going to happen just by thinking about it, so to speak. Unless the thoughts are in relation to good, good association that comes from beyond the thought world, beyond things and beyond thoughts. Hmm? We are beyond things and beyond thought, but we don't realize it, right? So if you want to enter into a, a realm of love, well, love knows no reason. So a realm of love is not one in which you proceed with caution, which is how, at best, we proceed in this world, by checking the label out, checking out who who made it, how much exploitation was in it. Maybe I won't buy that. I don't want to participate in that. Or maybe this food is bad, and and they're trying to, you know, they put something in it that I think is bad, or so we proceed with caution we listen in a lecture like this and we use our intellect I don't know if I'll believe that except uh, you know we, 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 that's how we naturally proceed but but do you want to proceed with caution is that the way how you want to live all the time I mean it's just it's uncomfortable so in a small sense we, we don't do that at home we know the people it's okay everything's okay we don't ask mom what's in it mother cooked something what's in it Check it out. Get it to the lab before I, you know, taste it here. Because there's a trust, right? Just to use a material example. So the homeland of the self, the homeland of the heart, if it's a realm of love, then the only way in which reason functions there is not whether or not God exists, but how to best serve God in any given instance. We may use our reason now to, to question whether... There is an Atma, whether there's a soul, whether there is God or not. But a better use would be how to serve God. And if you love someone, you serve them, right? So in different instances, there may be a better way than than, than another. So I'm saying that reason is is then is is subordinate to love. The highest knowing, in fact, is found in love. In love, you know what to do. And you do it, hmm? right? So um, we need, therefore, a transrational method if we want to transcend the limits of reason. That's reasonable, and so that this chanting is a transrational practice, and these other limbs of bhakti that we're talking are transrational. Hmm? Um, so 
Um, so with regard to Sakyam, hmm, uh, as a um, um, there are, um, uh, I want to say, two two types of Sakya as a bhava. Bhava means again what I'm explaining is bhava is spiritual ecstasy, and it arises out of spiritual practice where there may not be that much ecstasy. But there's a reason a reason that there sh- there there should be ecstasy if I if I pursue this. Hmm? If you want to become filled with ecstasy, you got to get rid of all the things that are in the way of ecstasy. Your attachments, your attachments are 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 binding, hmm? and they're causing misery. You're attached to something; you can't keep it. You might lose it at any time. It's, this is always you're like, I like it, but there's an anxiety that goes along with it, so to speak. Right? Hmm? I mean, you may love your son, and he's great. And every time he goes out, you think, "Is he going to come back tonight?" You know, where is he? Uh? <laughs> so, so, um, um, in in the beginning stages, our spiritual practice is one that is well reasoned. We've we've gotten good arguments, and we've gotten good association with people we, that we see are are ecstatic. So we're attracted to that. So we embrace the practices. And what they do first is they start to cleanse away things that are um, getting in our way. And we say, hey, I don't know if I want... I thought that one was pretty good. I'll keep that one. No, no, that has to go too. We're clearing that out as well. Clearing the whole place out here. Ah, you know, It's like somebody you hire an interior decorator and she comes in and... And you say, okay, decorate the house. She said, well, get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. Throw that art carpet out. But I thought, can I keep this little? Nope, that's got to go too. And then when that's all gone, okay, now we start to decorate it. right? So the decoration is the ecstasy. And prior to that, there's the cleansing. So first comes the cleansing. And that, just like in, you know, so you, you go to the doctor, the Ayurvedic doctor, you want to get cured, and he says, okay, we're going to put you on a... What should I eat? You say, you should not eat. We'll put you on a fast here, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, cleansing. Not even only a fast, but a cleansing diet, you know, let's say. So um, not only less or unpalatable things go in, but all kinds of things are going to come out at all times of the day. And it's like, uh, I didn't know that was there. <laughs> so... Then you're ready, you know, for something real, the good food and so forth. So, um, so this is the difference between sadhana bhakti and bhava bhakti. Sadhana bhakti in practice, and bhakti in ecstasy. So in sadhana we do certain things, we hear and we chant, and in bhava we do those things. But in bhava they're they're, they're arising out of ecstasy, whereas in the sadhana stage in the practice they're they're arising out of good reasoning, philosophical understanding, hmm? and a little bit that we get out of it. Hmm? Uh, which sometimes could be quite a bit and go, whoa, I get a taste for it, but it doesn't stay. Uh, I might come to a festival and there's kirtan that's going on for days and classes and, and I get, get absorbed. Hmm? And the mind stops and I start to feel what the potential of the self is. Hmm? 
and it's it's like nothing you've ever experienced. It's not like winning the World Series or ending World War II or anything like that. You just can't even. It, the words do not exist to describe it. Hmm? The kind of knowing that there's nothing more that needs to be known. Hmm? And then it then it recedes, and their attachments are there that they're still working on. The bhakti's still working on. But those moments, they're, they're, they're very powerful. They're more compelling than the, the whole, all the classes put together, practically. But the classes help us to you know, focus ourselves and practice, and then we get something from it. And then we, so we get a taste. So gradually, of course, once practice becomes steady, mm-hmm. because the, the things that are getting in the way of the practice being steady have been given up. And then when the practice is consistent and steady, then taste starts to come from it. Taste at higher stages of the practice. We call it ruchi. And he loses, she loses his taste for anything else and only taste for bhakti. Taste for bhakti. And so readily when hearing and chanting, ecstasy is coming. Hmm? Well, in this stage, when this, in the steadiness and in the, in the taste stage, if you will, then, then these limbs like sakya they can be incorporated as a as a practice hmm? and with regard to sakya or it means friendship right with regard to friendship make being like thinking of krishna as a friend uh, there are two forms of this in 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 the ecstatic realm so to speak um, there is the uh, friendship like Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita had with Krishna, Puta um, Sambandhi. So it, it, it's it's friendship that's a little bit a uh, little bit restricted by by reverence. And then there's the friends of Krishna in, in Braj that are not restricted by um, uh, reverence. So the two forms, right? And in and so that that can that thinking of Krishna as a friend, as a sadhana, can be embraced in the higher stages of sadhana in relation to either of those two ideals, the metropolitan friendship or the rural friendship with Krishna in his, in his leela. <clears throat> um, and Yuga Sami gives an example of the past from the Puranas, a fellow who kept treated his deity like a friend. And slept in the same room with him, on the altar with him, and, and, and so forth. And 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 then he comments, but this is for this is for 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 rag bhakti, and in and for I mean Shiva Goswami doesn't say Nishruji says, but this is for advanced sadhakas, and they could be advanced conceptually, in Nishta in the steady stage and. And um, in, a, in, a, in it's kind of in a broad way to think think uh, generally as Krishna's my friend. So you can do that. If that's your ideal. Hmm? But you can't sleep on the altar with Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Does that that help? Um, so in the with regards to the, um, with regards to the um, it's different than bhava. You know, it's it is a state. It is in sadhana. It can be, can be embraced. But uh, 
you need a fair amount of conceptual orientation understanding um, uh, to do that and what that might anyway so go ahead so, so with regards to like it being a limb of Bhakti why is not the other drivers uh, or rasas uh, uh, also the Asya is also mentioned. Yeah. Um, you'd have to ask Prahlad Maharaj about that one. <laughs> but um, I can say this that um, the uh, friendship and servitude are kinds of love that in this world are more um, kind of noble in this world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they carry with them um, some sense of kind of dignity and and higher purpose. um, what Salya does as well, parental love, but erotic love, romantic love, it's kind of like in another realm, so to speak. It's like um, yeah, C.S. Lewis has a book about love in this world. I don't, I don't. It would be interesting to look. I know he includes friendship as one of the types of love, and it's. it's it's a little different than we talk about it, but he's a Christian theologian from the past, quite a good one. Um, I don't think he includes romantic love as one of the kinds of love. When, when you, when you, when you want to, let's say you want to, let's say this, you want to turn, talk about love in this world and then tie it to God, let's say. Okay. Well, servitor, servitor, servitor kind of love, yeah. You know, how do you love your teacher? You serve your teacher. You know, you bring him an apple, whatever, you know. And pay attention. You learn the lessons. And, and that, that's how you're loving, right? So that you could see how servitorship hmm, could be understood in this world as a kind of love of God, right? Friendship also can go that way. Hmm? Erotic love or parental love how can God be your son and you be the parent? You're you know, in the higher position. Hmm? And erotic love, well, I don't think, you know, most people can't go there. How could you love God like that? Of course, we have that in bhakti. Hmm? But in this world, these two are more readily uh, understandable as a, as a kind of love that could be also in relation to God, in which God is the object. Hmm? So... Perhaps for those reasons, he's left those those other two out, which would be arguably harder to, in a general sense, um, embrace and uh, conceptualize and orient oneself. Hmm. Yes? My question is about Maharaj Prabhupada Parudra's son, who Mahaprabhu described that he saw him, he looked like Krishna, he embraced him, and he got love of God. Um, also, 
there's so many other instances, like you said the, uh, yesterday, just seeing and they get in love with God like that. So I'm just wondering, um, because how does that play out exactly? Um, like, they get prema, but at least in that instance with uh, King Prataparudra's son, I think it's described that he was just an ordinary person. He didn't have any aspiration for loving Krishna in one of the rasas. He just says he's ordinary. And so how does one get prema in those situations when they didn't have any aspiration? That's called Kripa, Kripa Siddhi. Hmm? So, there, the possibility is there, as described in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, that one can, without any sadhana or any interest, can attain by, by grace. And these are extraordinary circumstances. For example, when Chaitanya appeared in the world, then that possibility was obviously more readily available uh, than it is, you know, today. I mean, he he could look at somebody and they could they could develop prem. Mm-hmm. So um, that possibility is there. He happened to be there. There's no reason for it. You want a reason for it? It's called grace. There's no reason for mercy. If mercy was dependent upon reason, then it wouldn't be so. It would be justice. Mm-hmm. So mercy transcends justice. We think, how is this possible? How could this be? It doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to. That's what mercy is. The law says it should be like this, but the judge may say, anyway, I'm overriding and I'm showing showing mercy. We're going to let this guy off. And we have this idea of mercy without cause, causeless mercy. So uh, we just think, well, we 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 just think, oh. The, uh, Krishna may do this. Hmm? We don't think he should necessarily, hmm? but he does, and so that makes him more worshipable. He did it to Putana. We think, wow. We would have thought, well, there you go. Why would anybody take shelter of anybody else? That Krishna is like this, and other forms of the Godhead aren't aren't like that. Hmm? So therefore, I should take shelter. And we don't think, well, why didn't he give it to me? Hmm? We think from the beginning there's plenty of good reasons. I mean, I could see why. (laughs) So, uh, something like that. I guess the part that I'm more confused about is how how is the person's uh, rasa like? How is that determined? He gives. He gives. He gives. He can do. He can give. It's possible. He can do. It's mentioned about there is somebody to send to. He can give. Sometimes we find ourselves, our sangha is a little bit outside of the so-called bigger sangha, discount or whatever. Thank God. (laughs) I said, thank God. Really? I didn't know I had any faults. Please tell me. Please tell me what they are, so I can improve myself. I'm just asking what the 
whether what the appropriate response should be. Should we just mm -hmm. ignore those people, or should we respond as as we are qualified? <laughs> Um, you know, it depends on the circumstance, obviously, you know, um, some people are just, just not worth listening to. I mean, any public figure is going to have people that criticize, just, you know, check it out on internet, you know, <laughs> and who knows what, you know, conspiracy theory somebody's going to come up with about this person or that person. Any public figure has his or her detractors, hmm? um, and oftentimes they're, they may not be, you know, worth uh, entertaining or, or listening to. Sometimes the best thing to do with uh, people who are envious, for example, envy is a very unbecoming quality. It, it turns good qualities into bad qualities. Sometimes someone has all good qualities and an envious person will turn those into bad qualities. It's a phenomenal power that they have, right? Um, so it's kind of like the opposite of love, which has the ability to turn bad qualities into good qualities. Hmm? So um, when that is arising out of, of out of envy, it's 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 really unfortunate um, if that be the case, and uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it it may be best in many instances to to not not feed the the envy because if a person is really driven by that, then the more you respond and say, well, that's not true, then they, they, it just kind of feeds them. It gives them gives them a reason to go on, better to starve them from any attention. Hmm? Uh, yeah, you already responded. But then in other instances, there may be reason, you know, there may be an opportunity to respond that, you know, and you may not know how, whether their criticisms are, are based on, you know, envy, or whether they're based on something they heard that's not true, and, you know, you might be able to... So, it, you know, it's, you can't give a, an answer to that that fits all instances hmm? um, but um, you know to take it uh, um, um, on an individual uh, basis um, I think that uh, you know you may be inclined to if you have the ability to respond with a accurate answer but then if you find that people just take that and that, that just serves as more gives them more energy, then you just you know, why bother? You know, don't don't feed them anymore. But you could try. Uh, it's said that if you f if you feed a snake, a cobra, milk, and bananas, which is sweet, right? And they like it. It's very nice. So, you, but then they become more venomous. Mm -hmm. And the more the venom builds up, the more the tendency to bite is. So you better be careful not to feed the feed the envious. Do all? Uh, I was reading this morning and uh, in the fifth canto was speaking of Jud Bharat. Uh, in his commentary there he speaks that Jud Bharat and Sukadev both had spiritual bodies. So I'm a little inquisitive as to how that plays out in perfection, would be a different body. If they could take a different form, uh, as from what they had in their material manifestation, and and how, just trying to enter into an understanding of what Vishwanath's meaning there. I think what he's probably meaning is that their their practitioner's body is so saturated with bhakti that it it it, it becomes spiritualized. Mahaprabhu speaks about this in. Um, 
Jagannath Puri to Sanatana Goswami says, Dikshakali, the time of Diksha, one uh, gets a sadaka deha and it's Chidanandamoy, full of Ananda um, and Chit. And it's, of course, it's a work in progress. But when, it's, when the senses, which is in the mind through which we contact the objective world, when we no longer do that for the purpose of our material ego, but rather for the purpose of fostering a spiritual identity as a servant of God, of Krishna, then as we perfect that and our senses are only contacting sense objects in the context of promoting and culturing that, again, spiritual ego, a serving ego rather than exploit, rather than ex- an exploiting ego, then that, for all intents and purposes, obviously that body becomes spiritual. Hmm? It's functioning only for a spiritual purpose. That doesn't necessarily mean it won't die or get old or transform, but it's functioning only for a spiritual purpose. Whereas previously the senses were functioning for a material purpose and they were expressions of the this, the the the, the uh, 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 exploiting ego, and in they in turn fostered that that ego. Hmm? Right now, it's doing the opposite. It's, it's deconstructing that that false ego, and it's fostering a, a spiritual ego. So a corresponding internal spiritual form will arise out of that. But you can make the argument that a spiritual form, a siddha rupa, for example, will not arise out of a material one. Therefore, the one that it's arising out of, the sadaka daya, must be spiritual. Hmm? Um, that's why, for example, in our tradition and other traditions too, you can find this kind of a thing. If a, if a person is a sadhu, a saint, then there's a, in our tradition, typically we um, deal with the deceased through cremation, right? But if the body has been used to perfection to for the sake of deconstructing the material ego and fostering giving rise to the spiritual ego and an internal spiritual uh, rupa or form that one can serve in the, in the leela of Krishna, then that material so-called body is a, a kind of a spiritualized, if you will, and rather than cremated, it's placed in what's called samadhi, which mean, literally means like yog, yogic trance and perfection. It's placed in that uh, samadhi kind of a tomb, and then that, that becomes a worshipable place. So saints will go there, and other devotees will go and they'll chant in that, in 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 proximity to the, to the place where that where the body that was used only, in Krishna's service, hmm, only, and uh, in in petition the the grace of such saints there and so forth. Um, so there's a there's a spiritualization in the, in, in effect, of the material body. And I think that that's probably what he what he what he's referring to. Prabhupada used to say, "There's gold and there's a gold-plated box." So, spiritualized material body is like a gold-plated box, compared to a solid gold siddharupa for internal body that is to serve in the lila. Hmm? Some difference, yeah. Let's try out one other. Um, 
I read recently that um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu received the Daskara Krishna Mantra from Ishwar Puri. And um, my question is, is that the ten syllable Gopal Mantra? Mm. And uh, and also then if where does how how where did what's the origin of the eighteen syllable Gopal Mantra and where does that enter? The 18-syllable Gopal Mantra is, is found in the um, uh, Gopal Tapani Upanishad. So it's a Shruti Mantra from the Upanishadic Mantra. And um, it's the mother of all Krishna Mantras. Hmm? So all Krishna Mantras are derived from that Mantra. Um, and for example, in that Mantra there are three names of Krishna. Govinda, Krishna, Govinda, Gopi, Janabalava. Right? In the ten syllable mantra, there's only Gopi Janabalava. So, hmm? so it, with the seed, cling. Hmm? Right? So, cling plus Gopi Janabalabaya. And then there's another two syllable word, mixed ten. I won't say it all here. So, um, we also find um, in Brihad Bhagavatamrita the Gopu Kumar received the ten syllable mantra. That's what it is. It's 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 a uh, it's a uh, basically uh, Krishnaya Govindaya. That's uh, four and seven from Krishnaya. Govindaya, is that seven? Yeah, that's seven. Seven from eighteen makes eleven, right? Right. So we're one, we're one syllable short there somehow. I mean, Gopi Jana. Clean. That's the seed. All right, I forgot. That. I mentioned earlier the seed. The seed. Uh, you can count the seed or not. Yeah. So if you if you don't count the seed, then it's a ten-syllable mantra, right? Gopi Jana Balabaya. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It's counted without the seed. So there's eighteen syllables without the seed, and ten syllables without the seed, and the ten-syllable mantra is, is the same as the eighteen-syllable mantra, but it it excludes two of the names. Curious, um, take devotees like Nanda and Ashok. Their Vrindavan consciousness is not, I would say, infected or bothered by Aishwarya Gyan, generally speaking. Yeah. And yet, they expand themselves as Vasudeva and Devaki, where it is. And I suppose then there's going to be even more as a deity Kashyapamuni. And I'm wondering, are there devotees who are following their Bhav? that also expand with them as they're going, let's say, down to other follow Krishna through different incarnations. Uh, as Krishna appears as Natura and Dwarka and so forth, are devotees from Braj going with him? Yeah. Even Jivas. Like Aruda? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's to, to, to Tasta Jeeva, who is perfect in, in Leela, 
functions just like uh, Shakti. Oh, I see what you mean, like a sadhana siddha, hmm? as opposed to uh, part of the entourage of, of Krishna. Do they go with him? Um, that you have to go there and find out about that. <laughs> <laughs> but if they do, then there's falling to like them. <laughs> no, they, they, no they, they, they don't. It's not that when Krishna goes to Mathura or Dwarka and the others go with him, that the, the, the Krishna Leela stops. It's still going on. But the bow is sort of down a notch. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, that, but they're not. It's not like uh, Kashyap is thinking, I'm really Nanda, or, you know, <laughs> but here I am in a lower bob, you know. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they don't make that connection. They don't make that connection. This is Leela Shakti's arrangement. Nobody thinks they're anybody but themselves, even though they may be expansions of them, um, themselves. So... Uh, but we shouldn't no we shouldn't think of the, you know um, in terms of you should focus on your own ideal that has been opportunity of which has been presented before you through the succession and so forth and enter into that window and having gone there and attained there if there are other possibilities that uh, also attach to that then you take advantage of them at, at, at that time Just when you mentioned that time yesterday day before or something there was a Yeah. Yeah, well, the friends of Krishna and Vrindavan don't particularly, um, are particularly fond of Krishna in, in Dwarka, given that, uh, that he's not in, there's no Jamuna, there's no Govardhan, there's no cows. Hmm. Is that your question? Yeah, sorry, I'm just wondering, if these, especially the eternal parikars are going, like both Queen hmm. Dwarka, that's Radharani, Chandravali. Yeah, you know. yeah. So why wouldn't others go with them in that Leela? Like I said, when if, if they invite you along, you can go, but but that doesn't mean you should worship the queens of Dwarka. So you need to focus on what you need to do to go there. If they invite you along, then that's another thing, you know. But but that's not discussed in the literature, as you know. There, there may there are so many. You can only say so much about the ideal. Say enough that you need, need to know to get there and get situated. And once you get there, it's like you know. Let's say you want to go to India, and you say, you know, I'm going to go here. I'm going to stay at uh, you know such and such place, and so forth. Well. You know, you got the travel logs. You got people tell you about it and this and that. But once you get there, all kinds of things could happen. That you know, for that plus, right? So it's enough to focus on getting there and uh, being grounded in that particular uh, dominant emotion, defining emotion for loving Krishna. But typically, it's not. Uh, it's not. It's thought that those who are his uh, extension of his sarup shakti. He's always within his Shakti. They go with him. Of course, the jivas are there under this, completely under the influence of the Shakti and function similarly. But uh, we don't, uh, uh, you know, I would say yeah, we don't talk about sadhana and citizen in that, in, in that way, but it's possible.
Yes. What he's saying really is is that uh, that in the name of Krishna, the form of Krishna, the qualities of Krishna, the leelas of Krishna are all present. And if the leelas are present, then his associates are present, right? Right. So by chanting, one becomes acquainted with the form in meditation, the qualities, and one enters into the into the leelas. And um, so, then it, in that case, then the it's not that the devotees, for example, in the leela, are chanting sixty-four rounds, as a, per, your, per your question yesterday. Right? They're participating in the leela feature of the name. Hmm? And doing all the things that that, that, are, that derive from that, but there's some chanting too. Ram Ram Mahabahu. We heard yesterday some chanting, but it's uh, now it's in the forefront as the practice to you know attain there. But what you're attaining is what's in the name, so the name is still present, but in the background, something like that. Now, are, do you cook at home? You should cook a little, maybe use, lose, use a little more ghee on him. <laughs> He's looking very thinny, very skinny. <laughs> All right, so what's the time now? Just coming at 5 to 12. Time for Arctic? Haribo. 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 Haribo.